But that's the way a lot of people see it. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't really blame them. You know, when we, you know, like with the with our Google Nest, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's one step closer to the machines taking over. <laughs> Big well, Brother is listening. Doesn't that make you think about how vulnerable your home is now? Like the that scene in Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. where <laughs> yes. they just drove her out of her penthouse apartment. <laughs> we're not we're not set up as a complete smart home yet. That's a bit much. Like even when we first got the Google Nest. I didn't plug it in for months. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want a completely smart home. I don't want my my home to be so smart that when it malfunctions, I can't take a shower. Yes. Nope. Agreed. Nope. I want to pay thousands of dollars to get the uh, electronics or or the you know computer hardware fixed or whatever. Either it's like oh god, no it's, shit. It's hard enough paying plumber prices. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no i hear you you know it's like even the um security cameras like the indoor security cameras like tim has a problem with those and i i don't blame him i know some people who use those though and because their house has like three floors and a basement so they keep an eye on what the kids are doing even when they're up on the top floor because they can't hear them sure and And i'm like that's kind of neat and like there's the the practicality of them totally makes sense. Something mm-hmm. like that, obviously, then just the home security itself of being away. You know, if you've got pets, you can peek in on your pets and everything too throughout <laughs> the day. Which would be kind of fun. But then you also have like the hackers all hacking in and watching you and like that's the part that like you know, Timmy goes right to the extreme. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, it's hard not to, because, I mean, you immediately think about what would be the most compromising situation to be watched in, and then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not comfortable with yeah. these. Outdoor security cameras, fine, but not the indoor ones. No. But at the same time, we miss out on a lot of potential America's Funniest Home Video gold. <laughs> True. Uh, so yeah. Bless all the people that have indoor video cameras, security cameras, and then share the fails with the world because they're hilarious. They are. They they're really so are. Funny. I'm like, better you than me. Exactly. I love those videos. Anytime I see people on like the hoverboards, I call them wheelie boards because they don't fucking hover. Right? I'm just like, what are you doing? Misnomer. You- Stop trying to make back. Yeah. Future too true. It's, it's it's not until they actually hover. Ross always asks, "Can we get a hoverboard?" I was like, "They don't exist." So no. <laughs> I was like, "Once they actually hover, fuck yeah, we're gonna get a hoverboard." <laughs> that was that's what's owed to us. Back to the Future lied to us. We are supposed to have fucking hoverboards by now. I feel like those wheelie boards were like developed because of Roombas, cats riding Roombas. <laughs> What would happen if we put people on them? <laughs> Disaster, broken bones, emergency room trips. Yeah, because they're more like Roombas than they are like skateboards. You're not facing the same way as you are on a skateboard. I'm just like... There's the whole balance aspect. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. I, can't. I mean, I can't. I guess you can. but I could. I'm not... No, I shouldn't. Would you? Would you just try... Just for my amusement, like so I can live vicariously <laughs> through you. You want to live, you, you want to like bust your ass vicariously through me, like literally fall and like bust my hey, ass on the I'm pavement. empathetic enough to feel it too. <laughs> Those are
those are the videos I don't like on AFV are the ones where they biff it super hard where you feel like sometimes when they fall on their butt or if they hit their head, I feel that. I physically feel like a tingly sensation up yeah. like my tailbone into my mm. spine. It is, oh, it's the, it's like not quite a nails on chalkboard, that physical feeling, but that same visceral physical reaction of like, oh my God, I, ugh. that's empathy, right? But, to what cuckoo pants degree? <laughs> like, well, ow, I don't want to feel like Don't you think, don't you think that's like a milestone, an unofficial milestone in life? Like, you stop being a kid when you start feeling the pain of others? Because, like, yeah. when you watch that kind of slapstick comedy, whether it's modern wipeouts or just, you know, like, classic stuff or, like, cartoon versions of that, as a kid, you're just like, ha, 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 that's really funny. And th- you don't feel anything. So here's the funny thing. Um... Speaking of, kids love, everyone loves football to the groin. You know, anyone, any man getting hit in the nuts, right? Well, yeah. (laughs) So today we caught a soccer ball to the nuts. Oh. And felt that pain. And I was like, so I just, you know, held him and I was like, just breathe, breathe through it, breathe through the pain. It'll, it'll go away in a second. I was like, but now, you know. They're funny to watch, not so funny to experience. (laughs) (laughs) And like two minutes later, he was fine. But I was like, "Eh, you're your first ball to the nuts. And then Ross is like, ball to the balls. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Speaking of that, though, like, does does the feeling the pain of someone else when you watch those videos? Do you do you feel anything like that when you see a guy get hit in the nuts? Not when a guy gets hit in the nuts, but if a, like a gymnast, if she were to slip on the balance bar. Oh, my God. That I feel because I have felt that before. So because I don't know the exact specific pain levels of getting kicked in the nuts, I sympathize with childbirth and women getting crotched. I don't know what we call it. but <laughs> I don't either, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if guys think it, that doesn't hurt a woman, they're wrong. It fucking hurts. They're so wrong. So I don't know. Obviously, you know, we can never truly compare the pain. Like, you know, no. men say they, they get like a nauseous feeling. I don't I don't remember getting a nauseous feeling after getting crotched. But uh, kind of a keel over, still like a hunch over, keel over, buckle and fall down. Yeah. Granted, I haven't been crotched a whole lot in my life, so I don't know. <laughs> I know I can't say that it's ever really properly happened to me, and I'm thankful for that. Because, I mean, well, considering all the times that I've fallen. <laughs> you haven't been properly crotched. <laughs> no. Like, okay, not only are there all those times that I've fallen or, like, I've tried climbing trees and, you know, it, it was dangerous and stuff like that, but, like... um. You know Jackass, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, before that was cool, <laughs> I can't believe I'm old enough to say this, but before that was cool, um, we lived out in the middle of nowhere, and we were bored, and we had a ranch house with a you know a garage, and there was like a wraparound deck that went in between them, so they weren't mm-hmm. completely connected mm-hmm. or anything, but there was literally like, I don't know, a meter between the two. <laughs> and for some reason, the deck railing <laughs> went around in. too. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it was more than a yard, but. <laughs> <so> <laughs> <laughs> I 
extra three inches matter. (laughs) Some they do. (laughs) Take that in whatever context you want. (laughs) But so we climbed up with our bikes on the garage. And this was my evil genius plan. And yes, I am evil. You know this. Yes, yes, I know. Um, I'm like, I'll go first. (laughs) It was me, my twin brother, and the neighbor boy who was like a year older than us. And we climb up there somehow, me, (laughs) with our bikes. Oh, Jesus. To jump them off of the other side of the garage into the grass. Yeah, what could go wrong? Well, I knew exactly what could go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So I jumped mine off. Awkward landing. But, you know, I managed it all right. Did not crotch myself. I also had a a girl's bike Mm -hmm. with the, the, the drop bar, right? Yeah. Well... My brother had a classic male diamond frame bike. So he jumped his bike off, and you can guess what happened. Oh. Now, there was some AFV stuff that could have oh, made, <laughs> made some money for my parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, why? Why were the. I never understood that even as a kid that the quote, boys' bikes had the bar straight across for them to perfectly nut themselves while we had all this space. Now, granted, I was fine with having that extra space, but I actually felt bad. I was like, they need the room more than we do. To be honest with you, I feel like it's a misogyny thing. Um, yeah. Because, like, from a practical standpoint, generally speaking, a diamond frame, straight bar type More masculine. Is, well, it's not that it's more masculine. It's the most stable bike frame. So you can do more with it. You can go faster with it without having stability issues in your bike frame. Gotcha. But women's bikes sacrifice some of that speed and capability because we're delicate creatures who wear dresses and need to be able to modestly get on our bikes. Very good points. I think you I think you fucking nailed that one. Uh, you know, the step-through frame is nice for people like me who can't lift their leg very high. Yeah. Like, well, this is the best effort I can do. Drag my toe over the bar. <laughs> uh, oh, if you ever saw me try and get on a horse, man, that's some funny oh shit. Oh, my God, please. Can I see that sometime? Um, Possibly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I remember in sixth grade, class went on, like, a bike ride thing and coming back, coming down the hill to get to, like, the entrance. And there's, like, the no parking sign or whatever. And one of the boys ran into it and nutted himself. <laughs> See, we're laughing. <laughs> you, never grow, was, you never grow out of it. Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, it was just because he had the, the boy bike. So, and that's when I was like, you want to trade bikes? Because I can crouch myself on this and I'll be okay, I mean, yeah. probably. <laughs> Not clearly in as much pain as you are, I don't think. Right. But no, I I could never ride a bike like that. Like even when I could ride a two wheeled bike, which I can't do anymore, I could never ride a diamond frame bike because yeah. I couldn't safely get on and off without yeah. falling over. And yeah, I tried. I'm just my I'm more stiff, I'm less flexible than I ever was. Well, that's true too. So I mean, I'm even if I less to, flexible now. Maybe <laughs> if I were to stretch a bit more. But now the idea of trying to lift my leg. <laughs> 
also I've, I'm like I can already feel that hurting and <laughs> having to grab like at my ankle and then like all right here we go and that, up and over <laughs> that is a technique I perfected years ago like oh my leg's not going to do this by itself anymore well I'll just use my arm and <laughs> pull yeah. my leg somewhere I do that a lot just sitting on the couch I need to get my leg up here there we go I got in trouble with in physical therapy so many times because they're like stop doing that you can use your leg muscles <laughs> like no it's not working you try it <laughs> here take my legs and you try <laughs> it's like okay that doesn't make sense but come on i was yeah. a little kid yeah <laughs> made sense in your mind so it did it's and, like i mean in I, a way what, it makes sense. what i meant was you try being me yeah <laughs> well, all right should we get started I uh, am. I got my intro all written out. Okay. So I'm do gonna... I need to assume weeping angel position? <laughs> Quite possibly, we'll see. <laughs> Every single one of my recordings starts off with like me whining, the guests laughing. And I was like, "Hey, because because we're so empathetic." Yeah. The people you tolerate, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Something about being tolerated that makes you. <laughs> okay. Hey, listeners, you motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking about a cold open about being properly crushed. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, this is going to be too much fun today, I think. Uh, I'm not even high. <laughs> I ate 30 milligrams of gummies, so we'll see what happens in about 15 minutes. Oh, damn. I'm going to be watching the <laughs> Thanks for putting it right in front of me. That's not even set right after the time change. <laughs> I don't care what time it is. Will you taste as good as fruit snacks? Because Aaron bought a box of, like, I think it was a 25-pack or 24-pack something of fruit snacks as a honey pot trap for the kids because he's trying to prove that they're going into our room when we're not home. Ah. So it's open and there's like 16 packs left and this is where he, we've eaten eight of them. <laughs> like, I'm like, Aaron, this trap isn't going to work normal. No, <laughs> we won't have any left. You can't eat your own stash, man. <laughs> They taste well. I guess it kind of depends on the on the flavor that you get. So the first time I got some, I got like a grapefruit, and oh, these watermelon ones called Frye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but those are really super duper good. But I mean, yeah, they're not like you can tell that they're not a, a Welch's or whatever. I love snack. those Welch's fruit snacks. Me too. <laughs> we get the Costco box. Yeah. Timmy that... takes some for work, and the boys' kind of go-to snack has always been a bag of goldfish and a bag of fruit snacks. Good call. And they mix them together and eat them that way, and I'm like, that's disgusting. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Okay, that's like the most ghetto cheese platter I've ever heard of. And Lee likes to dip his carrots, like crunchy carrot, like carrot sticks, mm -hmm. in peanut butter. Okay. Interesting. I can't believe I haven't tried that, considering how much I love peanut butter. Yeah, no shit. You always just have like a jar of peanut butter at the door. I know. I just eat spoonfuls of it sometimes. <laughs> Bet Don really enjoyed watching that. 
that. <laughs> All right. Take two. Hey, listeners, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's the podcast where I talk about the shows that I live with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today, my tolerated guest is back, but not via Scoop, not via Zoom or Skype or anything internet dependent. I am happy to announce that we are back in the pod basement. After about a year of no in-person recordings, I'm excited to welcome back Laura so we can chat about the documentary Crip Camp. Welcome back to the pod basement. Yeah, I was starting to believe it wasn't real. I know, like it all seems like a crazy fever dream from forever ago. Yeah, fever dream. Let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) But we're back today because we are both vaxxed and ready for snacks. Which is funny because what we were just talking about before we started recording was snacks. Fruit snacks. (laughs) Fruit snacks. Because God forbid we ever get together and not talk about food. Right. But but yeah, so spoilers for Crip Camp. Um, I don't really know... There can really be a spoiler warning for like a documentary. Right. This actually happened. That's pretty much it. Yeah. This this is all real life. Um, And we'll probably talk a little bit about the drunk history episode that they did. Um, It was their civil rights episode and it was like the second story they told, which is really good. So everyone should definitely go watch that as well. Watch Crip Camp and then go watch Drunk History. And... Well, just a quick synopsis, super duper short synopsis of the movie. Um, It's a documentary, basically kind of showing the free and fun-loving camp life for disabled people in the 70s, and basically the path that that ends up leading to um, the creation of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. So basically, Crip Camp is the Snyder Cut of the Drunk History episode. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. Oh, man. I wanted to text that to you so bad for the last two days. (laughs) I like that. I thought you would. But yeah, the Drunk History episode details the events of the 504 sit-in, which we will get to as we discuss Crip Camp. So, Laura, how much did you hate this movie? (laughs) I, I didn't hate the movie at all. Um... I actually really appreciated the fact that something like this went mainstream enough that it got Oscar attention and, you know, it was the talk of a lot of articles over a pretty long period of time because it would be in the news for a while or on social media for a while and then it would kind of die down and then, you know, the milestone of the 30th anniversary of the ADA came up and then Crip Camp came up again and then Oscar season, whatever, came around and it came up again, um, which was, you know, one of those moments of false hope for me. Um, not that I care about movie or music awards so much, like kudos to the artists or whatever, but I've never watched one and I probably never will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not my thing. But... It was really cool to see something that was factually about disabled people, made by disabled people, to tell like our story um, in the context of you know our current society where we're more aware of and questioning of people's civil rights and liberties and 
whether or not the law is properly being upheld in treatment of LGBTQ, people of color, or disabled people, you know, we're, we're actually aware it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to see disability get a share of, of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, but then it lost, it lost the Oscars to a (laughs) documentary, a good documentary about an octopus, (laughs) like an octopus being a teacher. (laughs) Um, you know, they're smart. And they do cool things, and they're actually a little bit evil sometimes, so I love them. <laughs> but I was really upset because while the Oscars aren't, like, my thing, I am very aware of the fact that since, you know, the 1950s, able-bodied actors have been winning awards for playing disabled people. like, And everyone lauds them like it's such an impossible thing to do like this is your oscar moment like i think it's somewhere around 50 percent of all the actors or films that are nominated that fit this category um they they win it's really infuriating Mm -hmm. when for the first time ever something that was actually truly about disabled people by disabled people got snubbed yeah Especially since it's about such a critical moment in our history in this messed up country we live in. Mm -hmm. So I didn't hate the movie at all. (laughs) I really appreciate it. I was just messing with you. There are moments that are a little patronizing. Like if you take them into context of how they, you know, how they occurred or how the original documentarians, there were some of the footage came from. the way they framed their questions to people mm-hmm. was a little patronizing. Uh, but overall, I think it, it did a great service to the disabled community. And I hope it's the start of, you know, better things. Yeah. I think I know what you mean. Cause there was, there was definitely one point, one scene that kind of stood out for me and that's um, as they're fighting to get 504, either like signed or enacted not signed but i think enacted and there's a a news report and the the reporter guy is talking to judy human best last name ever by the way i know um also she's amazing she is fucking amazing holy shit we'll gush on we'll gush about her in a bit too but he asks her and the way the way he asks the question is like it's like well are you still as angry as you were a year ago and it was just like, and granted, like I under okay, so that was in the seventies, and that's not really an excuse. But no. the patronizing manner was so much more rampant, especially maybe in the context of like the media and how they treated Judy, especially in that in that moment. Because I was just like, well, and I love the way she answered it because she didn't give like a yes or no, and she basically was like, I like to think that I'm taking, you know, the anger that I have and doing something good with it. Cuz I felt like it was almost like trying to like a like a gotcha moment. Yeah, like it look was. look at this angry disabled woman, this disabled person, you know, why should, you know, just to be dismissive. Exactly. It was a trap because anger is such a primal emotion. Like, oh, she's so emotional, such a woman, mm-hmm. and she's disabled, she can't even control herself. Mm-hmm. If she says no, well then then what? Um is she just 
Oh, then she's probably just a bitch. Is is she just a bitch, or does this not matter as much anymore? Or have we done enough? Because right. she's she's fine now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because they can cut sound clips wherever they want. Yep. So if she had given a yes, but or a no, but yep, we'd just hear the yes or the no. Yep. So yeah, I I, I think I know what you're what you're saying with the um the patronization. It, here and there yeah. throughout it. But. It's good that they captured that because mm-hmm. it's it's a very real part of disabled life. It yeah. sucks. Um, what was one of the, I think early in the documentary, they called it uh, dismissibility. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. I'm that not, was a good one. I'm not really for all of the like, retooling of the word disability. And I came across this when I spoke at the UW forum um, we we had a big discussion in our breakout rooms about whether or not use the use of the word disability is okay in any context outside of like medicine i'm like absolutely it is it might not be okay to everyone like there might be some people who cannot take that and sure. that's fine mm-hmm. but this this is the correct term it's not derogatory um it's not patronizing it's 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 not trying to mask something. It's mm-hmm. the truth, mm-hmm. and you know what? The truth is hard for people, but this is our word. This is the word that you are able to use when talking about our conditions. So use it. Yeah, as more of like that kind of more broad umbrella term for your community. Right, because that whole differently abled thing, or like writing it as dis slash ability kind of thing, you know trying to focus on the ability part, mm-hmm. I hate it. Yeah. And I know that there are people in the community who feel differently, and I respect that. Mm-hmm. I personally hate it. Yeah. It's just, uh, I hate to, you know, keep saying it, but <laughs> it's it's patronizing. What are you, what about, like, because in the documentary, a couple of times, they, someone says, you know, disabled or handicapped or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What are your feelings on the word handicapped as as a generalized term? It's outdated. Outdated. Yeah, but you know, I'm not I don't get offended by people using it. It was a term that was used and you know, it's still used when talking about things like parking spaces and whatnot. Um and you know, it's used uh in a watered down way for things like golf. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe maybe it's the sports version of disabled. I don't know. <laughs> What's your handicap? Oh, I have CP. No, for golf, idiots. <laughs> oh, I don't golf. I have CP. No. What's my handicap? I can't even hit the ball. Watch this. <laughs> I putt too hard. <laughs> uh, but you know, I I again, it's it's one of those things. For me, I take context into account. Like, even if you use something that I absolutely despise, like mm-hmm. differently abled, if you genuinely meant well by saying that, you weren't trying to, you know, talk down at me or to me or about me it, by doing that, then I'm fine with it. It's not my favorite, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a, a jerk about it. But you know, if I do come across a friend or or an acquaintance using a term that really was meant in a derogatory way towards the disabled, but they're using it in a way to describe themselves, I do call them out on it. Especially like the R word. 
Especially if they're going to do it like, say, someone has a radio show or their uh, their own podcast, and they call themselves like a spaz mm-hmm. because they, I don't know, were really absent-minded that day or something. Mm-hmm. Or they say they're a gimp, <laughs> not the Pulp Fiction kind, <laughs> <laughs> but they say they're a gimp because they tweaked their back that morning uh, and, you know, they're they're walking differently. It's like, okay, at best, temporarily, you might be you might be one. But you can't just go throwing that word around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spaz is, is particularly interesting to me because um, in, in Europe, it's used quite regularly in certain disabled groups. And it caught me by surprise when I was over there because I'm like, wow, you can say that about <laughs> yourself? That's so funny. That's awesome. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's our word, right? Um, it's sh- short for spastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and spasticity is a big part of CP, cerebral palsy. Um, so to, to hear someone else use it in a in a way that doesn't align with that can be a bit jarring, especially because it used to be thrown out here as an insult to us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I heard disability, handicap, whatever you want to call it, I kind of chuckled because I'm like, Ah, uh, don't invite that. <laughs> Those two words are good enough. Yeah. Disability is yeah. probably the more preferable. But, you know, I'm maybe more forgiving than some of my peers. So something that I kind of thought of a while ago, and I've actually been waiting to have this conversation with you, so I haven't brought it up. Like, this was like months ago. Something had occurred to me where I had kind of like an absent-minded moment and for a second I was thinking like oh I had like a moment but then I was like wait a second because I hadn't really thought of it up until that point so when we say you know when someone like able-bodied or whatever is like does kind of like that sound like that derp sound or whatever or like dirt I feel like that came from back in like the 80s and 90s where it was mainstream and popular for a while to kind of do the bent hand over the chest thing Mm. And that more, um, like you were saying, like a muscle spasm kind of movement against the chest. Mm -hmm. Because then the sound generally made with that was like a sound. Right. Like they did it in Saved by the Bell. It was very mainstream for a time period. So so I started thinking, I was like, so to say that we're having a der moment or to make a sound similar to that. Is that just now the the new updated version of that movement, that arm movement? You know what I'm saying? Because I think my gummies are kicking in. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're far enough removed from what that meant that like a lot of kids who pick it up now, I almost think they pick it up from The Simpsons. It's more like a dough moment. Sure. You know. Okay. Uh, but if you're doing that arm movement with it, for sure, then oh that's offensive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if people don't realize this, but for those who have kids, you might remember when your kids were, were babies, uh, they had like jerky arm and leg movements. Those are primal reflexes. They're like the base level programming in our brain, you might say. So... When uh, someone with a disability has those movements, it's because of the way their their brain functions, and they they haven't 
been able to um, completely control and gain finer motor skills and better, smoother movement. You know, like I can experience that kind of arm to the chest thing if, you know, my muscles are really spastic or if I'm just like really tired or um, it's like a reflexive defense mechanism, you know. So like if I, I don't know, if I'm about to have surgery or something, like I will reflexively put my arm on my chest like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm like, ah, I bet I look really disabled right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe now you look disabled enough. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that because my husband and I tried to get some breakfast this morning before he left for his event today. And we were standing in the diner for like a few minutes it wasn't terrible you know you could tell they were kind of busy but there were a few open tables but we were just waiting to be seated Um, you know I don't really look disabled when I'm standing still unless you know what you're looking for and he's perfectly able-bodied you know we look relatively young still right Mm -hmm. (laughs) well a couple of groups came in behind us um, several minutes behind us and uh, they were elderly, and one of them had a, a lady using a walker. Um, server comes up, completely ignores that we've been there for a while, even though you could clearly see us, and addresses them. Doesn't even ask, mm-hmm. you know, if we were waiting for like a pickup order or or something like that, mm-hmm. or if we'd been helped. Right. And what was really fun was that. Uh, the customers, they didn't acknowledge us either. <laughs> it's just, like, there are so many layers to how disability is treated mm-hmm. and, like, when when it's appropriate to notice it and when it isn't. And there's, like, a hierarchy involved in it, too. Like, is it uh, I should defer to an elderly person because they're elderly and using a walking aid? Mm-hmm. Or should they defer to me because my disability might actually be more severe than they realize, but I'm not using a walking aid because I've worked really damn hard to not need one. Mm-hmm. I'll need one eventually, but you know. Uh, there's, so there's there's all these different overlaps of where do you fit in, and that was one of the things in the documentary that really hit me kind of hard. Um, these two these two adorable people with CP in that movie. They met at the summer camp. Denise and and Neil. Yeah, and, like, they didn't, they weren't summer camp sweethearts, but they ended up, you know, getting married later and having a family, and there's, there's so much about that that I could just gush over, Mm -hmm. you know? But (laughs) Neil made a joke. I, oh my god <laughs> and it wasn't even like a, I don't even think it was completely a joke but he delivered it as one but it was a conversation with his mother that he was recalling mm-hmm. like she was really happy for him that he found someone but couldn't have been a couldn't it have been a polio yes and then I find out you know oh over the course of the documentary that there's an there's a hierarchy there too yes so apparently being physically disabled because of polio, regardless of how severe it is, was leaps and bounds better than being physically disabled because of cerebral palsy, yes. regardless of how severe it is. 
And I'm just like, oh my god, I didn't realize I was like the bottom rung. <laughs> I thought that was really fascinating too when they mentioned that there was a hierarchy. Polios were above CPs. And then yeah, Neil's mom's line. And then um, the uh, James Lebrecht, the like creator, writer, and star of the documentary. You can hear him laughing in the background <laughs> yeah. of that, like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't cut that out. <laughs> that was like, I think we said that that way at the same time because that was my reaction to it. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> well, I was like, oh man, he's got a great sense of humor. And then I was like, wait, wait, I'm at the bottom? <laughs> what? What's why? Oh like, shit! Who else? Like, what's the middle? If polio is the best and CP is the worst, what's the middle? And I, I started asking all these questions, and they're, you know, my husband and our friends were like, "Shh." <laughs> You're like, "No, no, I'm freaking no, out. I really need to know this. Does somebody have a scale somewhere? Can I like measure myself? Like, what am I on the physically disabled scale? Like the Richter scale for earthquake or something? Is like, there how a bad is oh, this? You need to see if there's like a a chart on the Google. I didn't you know. yet find one, probably because it's like totally politically incorrect yeah. for, for it to exist. Oh, uh, man. Maybe it's like deep in Reddit somewhere. It's totally <laughs> mind blowing that moment in the in the movie, and I like I was I didn't know what to expect going into this. Like, I kind of did, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I wasn't expecting that. Like, oh man, that was. I I don't think I've I've like I watched this for the first time months ago, and I still am not over it. So I'm like, oh, this is so interesting because like, I've read blog posts and everything of, of other activists and advocates experiences and one of the social subjects that gets brought up a lot is the um, I don't know the designation of pretty disabled and I really hate the way that that's structured because you know we also use pretty as like kind of or a lot you know mm -hmm. mostly or whatever yeah um but what they mean is pretty as in, like, beautiful. Right. Um, so that's another division in the disabled community. It's not just do you have a learning disability, do you have a developmental disability, do you have a physical disability? Okay, what kind? How bad? Okay, mm -hmm. you belong here. Um, there's also that aspect of can you pass for a normal person, quote-unquote normal person? I hate that word. I understand its need in certain aspects of things but for the most part I do not like that word I've never really liked that word and I try not to use it and I try not to use it around the kids because I don't want them to think that there's any kind of baseline like other than maybe like for science <laughs> like <laughs> testing and shit you know so this I, is our control group <laughs> can you can you pass as a control group participant what? okay that sounds worse <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I can. What do you mean by control? <laughs> Sorry, that's worse. <laughs> it is, it is. What's so funny? But, you know, for science, too, that's a whole thing, another mm -hmm. thing. Like, right. we were science experiments. Uh, you take any major event in history, especially a discriminatory one, you try, you try and tell me, no, that wasn't about the disabled, well, you know, if you actually go back and you look at the history, it is. Mm -hmm. um, the Holocaust is a great example. We all learn about it. 
yes, for the doubters out there, it's real. It really happened, and it's bad, and it sucks. I hate this. And people. I hope that this never happens again. But honestly, let's be realistic. I I wouldn't be surprised. I I know how disappointing is that. But have you not ever wondered, like, as you were learning this in school, or as you've done more learning as an adult, or just come across like uh, some History Channel show or something? Have you not ever wondered how that infrastructure was already there? Have you not ever wondered why they were so efficient at it? Or how they knew what gases they were going to use and how they were going to do it and all of that? Like, they were deadly efficient at that, just like they were deadly efficient at the warfare that they waged. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. The Nazi party started with the disabled. They took the most mentally and physically disabled and tested this all out on them. They built all this infrastructure around them. We were the first victims. And if you think it was only a few or a handful or whatever, you're so wrong. Like, I wish somebody cared enough to count the, the number of disabled people that were hit in that, you know? Because nobody mentions this. No textbooks, nothing, not even... Not even a more objective piece. We don't matter, and that's that's exactly what this documentary was was talking about. We don't matter in the context of normal life. We don't matter, and you know what? Jewish persecution was wrong. Racial prosecution persecution is wrong. It's absolutely wrong, and we need to do things about that. But can we not include the disabled in those conversations? Because some of those disabled people were probably Jewish. Mm -hmm. Some of those disabled people were probably of, of different races and ethnicities. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter because the first thing they saw was a bunch of broken, subhuman people that were better off testing this out for the greater good of whatever, of whatever their grand design was than living their lives and contributing what they could um, socially and, and individually. Uh, you know, it just sucks. And if you look at history, it's a repeating pattern, mm -hmm. even in terms of, of Crip Camp here and what they accomplished over the course of that time. Like, if it wasn't for that uh, well-meaning and genuinely interested reporter who stayed yes. with this story and pushed this story... It wouldn't have happened. We needed one able-bodied white male advocate with power and position to make this happen. As awesome as Judy was and as fantastic as the movement was and how devoted everyone was, we needed that one guy. Yep. That one token guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I applaud him for doing that because I couldn't even begin to imagine what my life would be like if it weren't for people like him mm -hmm. and for people like Judy. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I, and you're absolutely right about the reporter guy, and I unfortunately didn't write his name down, but because he, and it wasn't just like, it was several reports. Like he followed them from like the beginning until things started to pick up and get traction. Because didn't they say there was something like news channels were out across mm -hmm. the country? And so now kind of all they had left was this news report of, uh, the the sit-in and that's kind of how the mainstream 
found out about it, about what was going on. But uh, one of the other things that I really enjoyed about this was how other marginalized groups came in and provided aid to the disability disabled people uh, at the sit-in. Yeah, that was fantastic. I the, loved it. The Black Panther Party coming in and bringing food and the conversation that uh, one of the uh, sit-in organizers had with a member of the Black Party, Black Panther Party. And basically what he had said to her was that you guys, because she asked, like, why, why help us? You know, you guys have limited resources. Right. Why us? And he said to her, basically, like, you guys are trying to change the world for the better, and that's all we are trying to do. So the very least we can do is make sure that you're fed. And I thought that was fucking awesome, and that also made me so angry at the, quote, education that we got about the Black Panther Party mm -hmm. growing up in the 80s and 90s. Like, we weren't fucking told, like, it was strictly painted as a violent terrorist, terrorist organization. organization. But without the Black Panther Party, we wouldn't have, like, those, um, like, the free meal programs for schools and shit like that. So it was, like, this beautiful, happy, you know, tug at the heartstrings kind of moment of seeing marginalized groups come together because then someone from LGBTQ community came in that were hairdressers. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, they're like, we're tired of feeling dirty. And they're like, well, all right, we'll come down, donate it, you know, spend a few hours and hang out and help you guys get cleaned up if you want. And I thought that that spoke volumes. Right. We've got, you know, and I don't want to hear... <laughs> I don't want to hear people complain about like my toe hurts and I can't do this. Like motherfucker all like this whole community of disabled people came together and then not only like ended up changing the world, but also like influencing and getting other marginalized groups involved in their, in their cause because they could see the bigger picture. They understood what that felt like to be an afterthought in society and I and I loved that, and I thought I was really glad that they really kind of took the time to really showcase how that all came together and how people, you know, even individuals helped by donating the beds and making sure that they had places to basically set up. They had like a medic area, and they basically completely like took over that building. Yeah, and it's a good thing they did because you know the local and federal and state governments were doing things to drive them away. They were mm -hmm. cutting off their access to every basic human right, every modern uh, you know, facility we have to, to make our lives livable. They took that from them. Yeah. They and didn't care if it caused these people pain. They didn't care mm -hmm. if it caused them to die. They did not care. And I liked that their attempt to cut off their mode of communication yeah. completely backfired. I know, right? <laughs> so because of the deaf people and sign language and they were able to sign to the people outside. Was like, <laughs> it's like having it's like having your own secret like code, but it's not a secret code. Anyone can it's know it and learn it. <laughs> right. It's only a secret because nobody cares to learn it. Um, but you're right seeing all of those marginalized groups who were fighting their own battles at the time uh, come together for the group that was most in need in that moment mm -hmm. um, 
that was amazing to see. And you can bet the, dis the disabled community has repaid that. Um, we always have. We're always there. We're always acting as allies as best as we can to other groups that need it because there is a bigger picture. And I think that as aware as our generation is now in, in our society as it is now, we have lost sight of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. it, as everyone fighting over a piece of, of a pie, like, you know, in, instead of, of realizing that we shouldn't be divided like this. I mean, I understand that no one's going to completely understand a disabled experience unless they're disabled. And within disability, you know, uh, someone, someone with a physical disability isn't necessarily going to be able to understand someone with a, a learning disabilities experience or, you know, outside of the disabled community, like I'm, I'm white. I'm never going to understand what it's like for a person who isn't, mm -hmm. not completely, because I can't have that experience. But you know, this coming together that you're talking of reminded me of one of the quotes that happened earlier in the movie that kind of hit me too. Um, so one of the camp counselors was a able-bodied black man. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about an outing where they took the disabled campers out for ice cream. And he watched the way that they were treated in just trying to get an ice cream cone. And he's like, here they are getting treated just like I am. And, you know, most of them are white. Like, it's, we have a lot of commonality in the experiences, even if we, it's for different reasons. Um, and I just don't think people see that anymore. Do you think sometimes it gets people, we get a little too caught up in almost that competition of who suffered more? Yes, we do, because that's that's what our culture is. Who has done the best? Who has had it the worst? Instead of how can we make it better for everyone? Yeah. And how by can we making make sure it the better, suffering just stops yeah. all around. By making it better, I don't mean making it equal. I mean making it equitable. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, a black person is going to need different tools, different services than a white person's going to need. An able-bodied person's going to need different tools and services than a disabled person's going to need. I don't care what angle we're talking about. Equity is what's Im important. Mm -hmm. um, and we just, I don't know how we've become so fractured, so aware, but so fractured. It's like we've taken a million steps backwards. And this is something you can see in, in Crip Camp's story. And if you take the time to research what happened before it and what has happened after it, it's the same thing. And if I have, a, if I have any criticism, like big criticism of Crip Camp as a documentary, it was how it kind of tied it all off with a nice little bow at the end. It shouldn't have because it wasn't over and it isn't over. So the reason that Section 504, uh, you know, happened was because disability was consciously and deliberately excluded from the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And that Civil Rights Act has afforded people of different races and ethnicities a lot more rights than they had prior to its passage into law. And it's been cited in a lot of cases that have decided those rights going forward. We didn't have that. 
So some legislators pushed 504 into other laws because that was the next vehicle that they had. But immediately upon its passage, it began being torn apart. It it was made irrelevant. Like, and it's it exists, like, and we can cite it. And it's not even like, it didn't even look like it was some 52-page, 180-pages document. It was like a paragraph. paragraph. Like, how fucking hard is it to just, like, adhere to a paragraph and to, like, not fucking pick it apart and be like, oh, but what about this? Because at one point, someone even says, I think maybe that might have been that Califano dude, but someone's like, well, why should we have to spend all this money? How many people are really going to benefit from this? And I just straight up to my TV, I was like, fuck you, man. That's exactly the point, though. They started dismantling it because they felt, at least from a political, governmental, whatever standpoint, that they were doing too much for one group. And it was costing things from everyone else. So there's there's that fracture we're talking about. This is the inception of it right mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, it was it was costing everyone else too much no it isn't especially because you can become disabled at any time how many vets came back right and that was touched on in crip camp yep. too that yep. was a big part of the the whole disability rights movement gaining the momentum that it did yeah because at one point they were even they were i think even told like well you need more disabled veterans yeah which your, is in your cause which is you know all respect to disabled veterans, but the fact that disability rights needs that particular group mm-hmm. is bullshit. It is not fair to them, and it is not fair to the rest of us. Exactly. And, you know, equal um, opportunity employment stuff where they have those pathways for veterans, disabled veterans, I think that's fantastic. But give the rest of us a shot, too, please. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there's all these little things. But so they, they immediately start stripping 504 of whatever power it gave us whatever rights it gave us you know so that built up steam for the ada which was put into law in 1990 like i'm older than the ada mm-hmm. god that's <laughs> not a lot like i had my kids watch the drunk history bit because that's only like a 10 minute segment or something yeah and I told them i was like that's not that long ago i'm like yeah i'm older than this law so you know because i want it's it's important to me that they understand that not everyone has it easy has it equal you know there's fights that must be fought and i don't want them to just grow up thinking like oh everything's fine because certain just because certain things don't touch our lives right directly ross loves drunk history he thinks it's like the best show. He's and got good taste. I was like, well, it's been canceled. And he was like, what? <laughs> so rest in peace, drunk history, but. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. Where was I going with this? <laughs> but yeah, I completely lost it. That's okay. I wanted to ask you. So I was reading some stuff. Some of the different reviews, little bits and pieces of uh, reviews online, and some people were saying that they felt that maybe this should have been 
two different documentaries since the first half kind of dealt more with like the camp and the second half, maybe a little bit more than second half, dealt with uh, 504 and just kind of the momentum leading up to that and then to the ADA. How do you feel? Do you think that, because I thought, I thought it worked well. I see what they're saying that it seems like two different documentaries in one, but I thought it was important to show the camp and how all these, a lot of these individuals came together and how even some of them had ties before camp, like Judy Human, she already knew uh, some of the people that are, that ended up going to camp, like Neil, um, that Nancy Rosen, Rosenbaum, I think was her name. Mm-hmm. So she knew a few of them. They all ended up going to Crip Camp, having the time of their lives. There's a crabs outbreak. That was <laughs> like so geez. funny. Like, it must have been so jarring for people, um, I don't know, not as familiar with disabled life and all aspects of it, to see disabled people be in such little hornballs. <laughs> but you know what that's part of being human yeah exactly so uh just like there's a spectrum for all that um we fall on it too mm-hmm. <laughs> but oh man uh, your question about it being two documentaries i think that's absolutely ridiculous i think that splitting it up um you you lose the aesthetically speaking you lose the getting to know the people that you're seeing evolve over the course of the documentary Mm -hmm. but splitting it up also detracts from both sides because if you just had a documentary about the camp that's a feel-good documentary that's the kind of that's the kind of inspiration porn bullshit Inspiration for you're absolutely right. That would be peddled to the masses, and they'd be like, "Oh, that's so sweet! Look at them having a normal summer and and enjoying being young people and everything. These camps are great, ah!" And that'd be your reaction, and maybe justifiably so, but that doesn't that doesn't give you any real substances about what our lives are like mm-hmm. outside of that camp or what of a novel experience that would have been for them to just be treated as people or um you know what things like that can lead to Mm -hmm. so it takes away from the meaning of that camp for the people who went there like i was super bummed to find out that it didn't exist anymore it's like it Man, goes like after their summer. That the, the is summer in the movie. That is cool, and I know that they do summer camps for kids with different types of disabilities now, but they're like a few weeks long, and you go for certain events and you go home. Mm-hmm. There's, I've never in in my years growing up knew that anything like this existed. I'm not sure that it did. At least not where we're from, anyway. If it did, nobody told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Okay, then the other side of it, if you just did a documentary about about 504 and the ADA, you, you risk showing these people as people you should pity, for one. And that has never been good advocacy for disability, disability rights, disabled people at all. Uh, two, you're showing the very serious side. You're, you're showing the... 
the the challenging of our the backbone of our society and everything what's going to make that relatable to people if they're not disabled or if they don't uh, exemplify empathy it's it's not so what's going to hold the common person's interest about this other than potentially the pity card right that's going to take away from that story too and honestly it i could argue that it could have kept going because the ADA has suffered from the same problem that 504 has it has been dismantled um and not just because of trump it was being dismantled before him mm-hmm. this is just another wave of it but the <laughs> the there was a law passed in 2008 so my son my oldest son is older than this law that rebuilt the ADA because of what the supreme court had done to it because the supreme court was ruling using the ADA not the civil rights act because we weren't a part of that would have been helpful if we were mm-hmm. but instead of focusing on whether or not something that has occurred in whatever setting was discriminatory they were focusing on whether or not the complainant was disabled according to the terms of the ADA and each and every progressive ruling just took everything out of it so in 2008 they passed they passed a law to put that all back mm-hmm. and then they started picking that apart so we're on the downward slide of that right now and I, I don't care if listeners don't agree, but in my opinion, uh, while Trump's administration may have done isolated things that were helpful to very select types of disability and situations, on the whole, they accelerated that downslide. Um, I am scared for myself and my youngest son who you know as you know has autism and other related learning developmental disabilities um he's a really cool kid i don't know what kind of world he's going to grow up in and it scares the hell out of me because uh, looking back on it i'm not really sure like how things turned out so well for me and Yes, I realize there's a spectrum for that too. It could definitely be worse, but it could also definitely be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm still fighting battles every day, like just to get the proper medical care that I need, or or what have you. But um, I honestly don't know how I got here. Like schools won't actually follow IEPs. Uh, or, you know, <laughs> they tried to expel me when I was a kid because uh, my attendance was at times um you know they had this student who was bright enough didn't really need to be at school to learn so basically you free success story for your school and you want to expel them <laughs> like mm-hmm. seriously like there's there's so much here so this this documentary could have kept going it could have shown the whole cycle but it didn't so i'm on the opposite side of the fence as these reviewers, 
I don't think this should be two separate documentaries. You want to make it a series? Sure. But they showed where these people got that spark. You know, they attribute it to this camp and their experiences there. They showed who they were and how they evolved. They showed the fight for rights and that manifesting in things like uh, Neil and Judy being able to be a married couple and raise a family um, and they have adorable, an adorable kid um, who just saw them as people, by the way. That's like, just mom and that's dad. That's my dad. My dad's awesome. And he's a phenomenal programmer. She's, you know, she's in, she's into like sociology and psychology. Like they're prominent in their fields. Yeah. Her story too on how she decided to go get her master's in human sexuality yep was an awesome story and sad you know like upsetting at the same time because so much so she she <laughs> sorry she gets gonorrhea and she even admits that for that brief moment she's really proud of her she's like even recounting this tale, she's got like a ear to ear grin. I totally had did. an affair with the bus driver, and I'm just dying. I have, I'm like, good for you, Judy. Sorry, he wasn't a safe Denise. though. Denise, that was Denise. The, oh, sorry, Denise. Yeah, I I said Judy. My yeah. bad. But good for you, right? Yes. Uh, you know, and and she's like that. That's that's hilarious. Mm -hmm. But she she got put through surgery yes. before the doctor was finally willing to admit, you know, I think you just have gonorrhea. You have an STD. Like, yeah. Why that wasn't. Like, they pulled out a perfectly healthy appendix because mm -hmm. they thought she had appendicitis because the thought of even her being sexually active wasn't even a tiny drop nope. of, an of an idea it, of a possibility. No blips on that radar. Nope. So, um, but I loved it that that was her motivation because it sounded like she ended up moving kind of back home, yeah. getting into a slump, not really sure. Um, but that was exactly the, the thing that she needed to push her to go get her master's. <laughs> like, what a nice little fuck you to that doctor and probably a bunch of doctors. But right from like, that specific story, <laughs> I loved that. But yeah, so, you know, it showed the those aspects uh, of. I guess, for lack of a better term, you could say their rise, like a rise mm -hmm. in rights, a rise in awareness, a rise in 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 what they can accomplish. But it didn't show what happened after that, and I think it could have done even more for disability rights and disability awareness if it had done that. Mm -hmm. If it had shown that, despite these victories, this is what has happened since the fight continues. Yeah, and. We had a small reprieve in 2008, but we're going right back there. You know, uh, it could have been, it could have been a, a really great moment to raise awareness of current circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I get that you know this was a story that needed to be told, and it was it was well told. And there's only so much time you can do with a documentary or any movie. Um, but uh, it would be so nice to see that have been a part of it, even if it was just like an infographic at the end. Right, I was going to say. Something. Yeah. 
something yeah some other little blip to be like you know these struggles are still continuing as of this date blah 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 these things have happened contact these people donate here you know something like that what how would you feel if this were to maybe come back in a year as like um like a docu-series to continue on that tale i would love that i would like to see Maybe they, if they're going to do a series, they could do a lot on the intersectionalities of different marginalized groups in this country or, you know, more broadly, like internationally or something. Because life kind of sucks as a disabled person if, if you look at it in the certain contexts. But maybe, maybe people don't realize how much more it sucks to be black and disabled or Asian and disabled, um, or even like uh, what it's like to be a man and disabled, or versus a woman and disabled, or someone who is uh, gender fluid or, or identifies as something other than those uh, stereotypical genders and disabled, or different sexualities and disabled, or you know, the list could go on oh and yeah, on. Yeah, There's yeah. so many intersections there. Mm -hmm. like. Was how different was it for someone who grew up in, in like, the the fifties and sixties where the people were still being institutionalized, than it is for someone who grew up in like our time, mm -hmm. or it, there's so many things you could do. Um, I would like to see that, you know, and I would like to see that there are positives to it too. Like the crib camp part was. A foundationally feel-good piece, but it was done for the right reasons. It was not done to be patronizing. It was not done as inspiration porn. It literally set them up to be seen as people first. Mm -hmm. And that's really all that anyone in any marginalized group is really asking for. Like, we're not saying don't see our disability or, or in the case uh, of... Uh, people of color, I, I haven't heard any of the ones that I've spoken to say that they don't want you to see their color. Because that's, that's stupid. Yeah, It's a part of who you are. Right. Whether you like it or not, it's a part of who you are. Um, so we're all just saying we just want to be seen as people. We want to be included as people. And we want to be given the same opportunities to excel as people is it yeah like you just want to be able to like yeah go into a bank go into a business you know with the ada and everything yeah you know and that and of course in watching this uh documentary it reminded me of your little battle at our old employment a state <laughs> agency new building that had so many fucking locked doors for security reasons. For security reasons. Fine. But, and even, and even how long that took you and like the pushback and the bullshit that they tried to feed you. And I think it was just you going against the building administration to make sure that the doors were ADA compliant. Yep. And that no one said right away, oh my God, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that no one else tried. 
uh, or or anything like that. <laughs> because it, it very well could be that they did. But what I've learned over the course of my years in advocating for myself and uh, when appropriate others as well uh, is that if you don't frame it right the first time, you don't get another chance. So, you know, I am sure that other people tried. Mm-hmm. And it blows my mind to this day that they built a brand new building and supposedly built it to ADA guidelines, and yet we were having these battles. Mm-hmm. But that was that was clearly the angle that I needed to go on because the feedback that I had received from others and, you know, the fact that I was the chair of our affirmative action committee helped with this Mm -hmm. because it gave me more channels of communication to see where the pushback was coming from. So, you know, me not being a lawyer at all (laughs) or even like a building inspector or or a social worker or anything or an occupational therapist where you might be like, okay, this, this person has legit creds to say these things. I looked up the ADA. I went to the section that I needed to. I pulled out the specifications for doorways and doors themselves. Laid them all out and addressed each point. You are not compliant with this. It takes more than five pounds of force to open this door. That's right. We were arguing about five pounds of force. Mm-hmm. You are not compliant with this. Your external door takes more than 10 pounds of force. Why did it take more than 10 pounds of force? Because they built it. They built a wind tunnel. The mm-hmm. building and the parking garage were separated in such a way that it built a wind tunnel. Yes. Uh, the, the air resistance against the building was far too high for someone to open those doors. And it if you needed, yeah, if you needed further evidence of that, they did have some automatic doors. Mm-hmm for the external doors. Um, but those got hit by the wind so hard they broke. Jeez, I didn't know they fucking broke. They broke. I'm not at all fucking surprised. They broke. It was insane, the, now, the amount of wind pressure going through that area. I also explained to them that the way that the doors opened was not compliant. Um, so not just the fact that it was hard to push them open, but the way that they opened um, made it very difficult for people who do use mobility aids to get through the door. Now, this affected employees, mm-hmm. but it also affected our customer base. Uh, and the thing is, automatic doors seem like common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're not specifically called out as an appropriate accommodation in the ADA. So they will not be put in unless there's just cause. Oh, my God. So I actually had to spell out in this gigantic email that I had with diagrams and everything. That was a big email. (laughs) I had to spell out that these are the, the different options you have to remediate these issues. Um, there is also automatic doors, which may be the most viable here because these other options would cause you to have to do renovations to this building. And again, don't want to put up that money. <laughs> right. So 
like I, an already new building. I know. And instead of getting all of the doors that had this issue addressed, the compromise was they put automatic door openers in the bathrooms on the floor that we were on because that was the floor our customers also had access to. Mm-hmm. But if, if we were unfortunate enough to work on any of the other floors... Or have a meeting on any of the other floors... Eh, this, this is the best we can do. They just put them on the bathroom doors. Mm-hmm. They didn't put them on any of the other doors. And just on the one floor. Yeah. Unfucking real. I, you know, and that was, I had to fight that hard for that little victory. And people were really appreciative. Mm-hmm. Really, really appreciative. Which was nice. Uh, but isn't it kind of sad at the same time? Yeah. That the smallest victory is is met with that much excitement because we never get one. Mm-hmm. Judy says uh, towards the end of the movie, she's tired of feeling thankful for an accessible bathroom. And until, and basically that until they no longer feel excited about shit like that, will they really be equals in society's eyes? Paraphrasing that last part, but. No, we won't. And I don't feel excited about those victories because Mm -hmm. they're not victories. Yeah. This is a perfect example of the loopholes that are built into the ADA for the purpose of taking away from our rights because it's too much of an inconvenience to those that aren't directly affected by it. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of decisions being made by people who don't have the big picture in mind or don't think about what the future is or could be for society as a whole or just for themselves. Like, do you realize that the older you get, the more likely you are to become disabled? Like, it is literally a 49% chance by the time you hit retirement age, congratulations, you're also disabled. Mm -hmm. Like, thanks for working so hard for your whole life. Enjoy being a cripple now that you're not used to it and you're too old to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. They had the one woman, and I didn't get—I didn't write her name down, unfortunately. But she—I was thinking of the South Park episode, the blood—you know, Jimmy and Timmy, Bloods versus Crips. Man, that's who's, hilarious. Who's born? Uh, the the people that are born disabled versus the people that later become disabled. Mm-hmm. So they had a what is that? A Crip then? Because <laughs> Bloods were the ones born disabled. In that yeah. episode, so yeah, and the Crips were they became crippled. Yeah. <laughs> so they had, but they had one woman, and she was she was a Crip in the sense that she uh, got hit by a via, got hit by a car mm-hmm. and became disabled, and she had never, so she was totally new to that world and that fight, and even kind of hearing her recount how through that, starting to realize these things affect me. Mm-hmm. ramps affect me getting in to the store affects me and kind of a little bit of her like realization and kind of coming to terms with that I thought was kind of interesting and I was actually kind of wanted a little bit more from her too in just what her experiences were it would have been a, a nice perspective versus these bloods that we're getting <laughs> well okay so uh I'm actually a crip not a blood I was I was not born disabled. Life just sucks sometimes. But I was um, a 
affected so early on in life that you might as well consider me a blood, I guess, because I don't know, I don't consciously know any different. Mm -hmm. um, so from my perspective, I've always had to live with these challenges. Yeah. So I really would have loved to get the perspective of someone who hasn't, especially in light of like a politician like Madison Hawthorne, the Republican in the wheelchair that's super handsome or whatever. Um, perfect poster boy, right? Mm -hmm. He is someone who became disabled because of an accident. Gabby Gifford, the uh, uh, congresswoman that was got shot in the head, and mm -hmm. now she has a brain injury. And she's still able to go out and make like appearances and everything uh, here and there to advocate for gun control and stuff. But sh her story from that point on kind of fascinates me because of someone in our in our family that has a brain injury and just kind of seeing even just those differences so it'd be so yeah but again kind of that now you're on the other side yeah and now you're i mean i know she advocates for like gun control and everything right i don't follow her career deeply or anything but i, I think she's still fairly private pretty private person now and i totally respect that because everyone has a right to their privacy mm -hmm. uh, and they make that very clear and uh, as a major want when they're at camp they yes talk about that yes uh, i could talk for a while on that but on on the gabby versus madison um mm -hmm. comparison here she's trying to do good mm -hmm. because of something that happened to her he is not he is he has taken the stance of suck it up. I did. I'm here anyway. Uh, I don't like that stance because I don't like that. Like I'm sorry that you suffered and you had to go through all of that. But why why force someone else? Why make them go through those same things if they don't have to? It's not equitable. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's not fair. I'm going to tell you it's not equitable because maybe maybe he had the means and the ability to suck it up to the point that he has to have this life. Mm -hmm. But you can't tell me he still doesn't need accommodations and he still doesn't need help. But it's almost like his stance is, well, since I can't do these things and I can't have these things, then nobody should. Mm -hmm. And such a, to such give someone the airtime and the power to propagate that message is incredibly detrimental to our well-being mm -hmm. and if i i would love to get someone's perspective on this who agrees with him disabled and not because i just i cannot reconcile this approach in my mind mm -hmm. i cannot do it i you know i understand that everybody's different and all that stuff but i like to pride myself on the fact that i can put myself in some very difficult shoes because of the amount of empathy I have, but I, I cannot swallow this one. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't. Um, and you know, it's like back to the whole blood and crypt thing. Like this is, this is the danger that we are to ourselves. The whether, regardless of how you got there or what you got along the way or whatever, um, you are a member of the disabled community. You can either, if you are fortunate enough to be given a platform to do something good for us and by extension, everyone else, because honestly, accessibility only helps everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not just us. Mm -hmm. 
If it's easier for us, guess what? It's easier for you too. Get on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a platform where you can make real change for the good of everyone else and be lucky enough for that to include yourself and you don't use it, you are the worst kind of person in the world, disabled or not. And that's the thing we need to get past too. Disabled people can be shitty people. Yeah. Disabled people can be evil and not just because they're Bond villains. Like, (laughs) (laughs) seriously, we're people. (laughs) Not just Bond villains. And people are inherently flawed, whether they're disabled or not. Disability is just a type of flaw, if you want to call it anything. Is it necessarily a flaw? I don't know. The social model of disability suggests that if we were actually accommodating from the start, how many of us would be disabled? How many more of us would be disabled if eyeglasses didn't exist? Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, mm-hmm. come on, think about it. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's just really stupid. Uh, but your your Bloods and Crypt episode thing reminded me <laughs> of the whole parking garage fiasco, too, where we had to fight over the disabled spots at that new building because they didn't make enough of them. <laughs> oh, my God. And then they were, like, in the bottom part, like... I had they, to prove they were in the worst. They were in the worst spot. Oh yeah, because yours was next to like one of the entrances. Mm-hmm. The entrance for the cars, not the entrances for the people. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and you know, like customers would take my spot all the time, but I had to pay a fee, a and not a for small the privilege one. of parking in the disabled spot. But they literally didn't make enough. Mm-hmm. We had to prove that we were. In fact, disabled and had Jesus. disability parking rights, um, you know, by going through the appropriate DMV forms and everything, in order to have these spots that we were paying for. Oh my God. I'm so glad we're not there anymore. And I'm just like, what? You are asking me to prove my disability, something that I should not have to no. legally disclose to you mm-hmm. because I asked for disabled parking. Mm-hmm. My God. Um, I was just blown away, Uh, (laughs) you know, but funny story again on the bloods and grips thing. (laughs) Okay. I, that was a weird noise. Sorry. I, um, in terms of the actual gangs, bloods and grips, I've heard them referenced in hip hop songs, but I've never encountered them. Like if I grew up in gang territory, it was Latin Kings territory, you know, uh, whatever. It, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So now we know where your affiliation's like. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I have tattoos. I, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but I, I saw this, this video on Facebook, and it was like Crip Fitness. And, you know, that was the title screen. And you know how they don't play right away unless you, like, scroll far enough. So mm-hmm. I see this title screen, I'm like... Oh, cool. Is this like disability fitness video? (laughs) Not totally. I like completely spaced and did not take into account who of my friends shared this. And like that should have helped. (laughs) But the video starts and I'm like, I start typing as I'm watching. Dude, where are the cripples? (laughs) Oh, he he had to explain to me. This is the gang. I'm like, oh, I thought it was like Crips like cripples because, you know, there's social media hashtags like Crip the Vote yeah. and stuff like It's like, oh, man, oh, man, I have to, I got to rethink some things. Like, 
I clearly did not understand this gang at all. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Unique perspective. See, we can offer that. <laughs> but how funny would it have been to have a disabled fitness video called Crip Fitness? Man. You need to get on that. That would have been that'll like that'll a be Key like, and Peele sketch. That will be like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> I've been thinking about those a bit more lately. I'm like, I was talking to my husband about it. It's like, would it have been really funny for me being physically disabled and walking differently and not having good balance and impaired motor skills? Like, if my dream job was to be a server in a fancy restaurant? <laughs> but I just couldn't get to the table without spilling something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because oh, i got the wobblies yep. <laughs> no uh but like i'm like oh god that would be a really funny sketch and like like the interview process is progressively harder and harder dining room layouts <laughs> like like different mazes and labyrinths and like with obstacles a stroller <laughs> yeah a baby yeah. stroller a, a just a running loose toddler like all those things how funny would they be like i would totally do that do you know how many takes there would have to be but seriously <laughs> i would want to keep going until i make it through the damn gauntlet oh my god this is what you should have done during like the the true true quarantine last year you know, while everyone's making silly, I'm losing my mind video, you know, like the ping pong balls and bouncing them off, ricocheting off things and trying to make like trick shots and stuff. Yeah. That could have been your quarantine viral moment. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, at the same time, I was finishing school. Oh, that's right. You're all about continuing your education and bettering yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Silly goose. Well, I got to make up for my shortcomings. <laughs> so let's talk about Judy Human. The one of the most amazing and impressive people I think to exist. Absolute legend. She's a crypt too, by the way. You're a crypt too. Polios. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so she's up there too. Yeah. She's something she's, like queen of she's the something I can only aspire to be. <laughs> oh, if only you could Find yourself a nice polio. <laughs> See, the whole disability anarchy already put her on a pedestal. I'm not doing it. <laughs> She's just an absolute legend. Like, look at her polio. Oh. Man, I, you know what? I just realized, hmm. oh, my God, all those times people have asked me if I have polio. I should have taken that as a compliment. Yes. Oh, man. Damn. I was only lowering their opinion of me when I corrected them. <laughs> They're like, oh. Another CP over here. Okay, let's go. Oh, geez. Not another one of those. <laughs> well, yeah, we are pretty common. It is the most common disability diagnosed in childhood, at least physical disability anyway. So there are lots of us. Which Careful now. There's strength in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is odd that you guys are so, would be at the bottom. <laughs> well, it's like a pyramid. It's a pyramid. <laughs> Oh my god, my entire <laughs> life has been an MLM. It's a pyramid scheme. Wow. You said it. I did it. <laughs> and in case, listeners, if you haven't caught on Laura SCP. <laughs> what I do? I thought it was polio. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, she's got polio. No. No, that's wrong. <laughs> I was trying to help you out. I've been vaccinated, okay? <laughs> I can't get polio. 
Okay, so yeah, so now you don't have polio, you just have CP and a tiny tracking device in your arm. Yeah, well, Yay. if it's Microsoft tracking me, I'm fine, because you know what Microsoft's <laughs> been doing that no other company does? <laughs> Accessibility! That Xbox controller they made is fan-fucking-tastic. Oh, yeah. I love that thing. It needs more press time. It needs to be out there. It's so cool. I totally forgot about that. I'm not even an Xbox user because I'm, you know, I grew up with Nintendo and I can't escape my own nostalgia. But I love that controller. It is the most amazing thing ever. And then uh, on the subject of video games still, um, there are some video games that have been developed with accessibility in mind. Nice. And it's beautiful because it makes, guess what, people? I said this before. It makes a better playing experience for everyone, mm -hmm. not just us. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah, it's still a minority thing. Not a lot of these games do that. But damn, when they do, it's just beautiful to see. You know, we talk about all the, the little holes and tears, maybe not little, but the dismantling of... ADA, but it's nice that there's still attempts being made within at least like private companies. But again, I, I think it's kind of like you and what Judy had said is, you know, not feeling getting to the point where you're not feeling thankful for being included in the conversation and developments of everything from existing to gaming. Yeah, well, this is going to sound ungrateful, but I'm not thankful for that accessibility in video games. I'm not thankful for it. It should be there. It should just be there, yeah. It's supposed to be an entertainment experience. Why Why are we denied that mm -hmm. when it is a fundamental piece of our society at this point? Mm -hmm. Was entertainment always a priority in society? No, but, you know, the Romans built a giant coliseum ages ago, so it must have been a priority for a while. Uh, so why, why should I have to beg for that? Right. Why should I have to? You shouldn't. Why should I have to prostrate myself to these companies and these developers and be like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for making this. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my mm -hmm. god. Yeah. You know what? I am. I do think it's awesome, but I also think it's overdue, and I think mm -hmm. everyone should be doing it. It's kind of how I feel about some of these firsts that we're seeing. First, black actor to win this or first you know woman to do this that's cool but aren't but you it's also 2021 though aren't you also really embarrassed by the fact that this is a headlining statistic in 2021 exactly how long have black people been acting exactly so i have i i guess to, you know i don't know but comparatively speaking like i kind of get it because it's like i see these things happening and i'm just like well, that's great, and I don't want to take away from your moment or anything, but it's 2021. I don't think, like you said, we should really be super excited about first disabled this or black that or woman that. It's fucking embarrassing. It's more embarrassing than anything. Am I glad that it's finally happening? Yes. Yes, but bigger picture here. Yeah. This shouldn't be a big deal. It should just be part of just, who we are yes. and what we do and how we live. And like that's that's one of the things too about being disabled. Like if you are successful even moderately by society's standards as a disabled person, it's almost like you are used 
against the rest of the disabled community. Well, if this person can do this, why can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why haven't you? And even then, you're not even you're not a human. You're just a bargaining tool. Nope. So I talked about the social model of disability briefly, right? Mm-hmm. There are two other major models, and there are sub-models as well, and I don't want to get into a whole sociology lesson. <laughs> but as much as I despise TikTok, I know I'm, I'm getting old, and I'm, I don't like what these youngins are doing these days. But there's, there's a series of TikTok videos uh, that are like 40 second long, maybe if that, videos that give you a really quick rundown on what the medical model is, the social model is, and the economic model. The medical model is exactly what you think it is. There's something wrong with you and we should fix it. Mm-hmm. The cure is more important than accommodation. Not saying that a cure wouldn't be welcomed by a lot of people, but you'd be surprised. There's a subset of disabled people who don't want it. And that's their right. Interesting. Because wh- why? If they don't feel like um, they need something like that, why would you force them to have it? Sure. If And if society was accommodating like it should be, why would they even need it? Right. But sure, there are some out there who want it. And we need to respect that, too. But the medical model prioritizes the cure over everything else. We either fix you or we need to, like, shove you away because we don't want to see this. Mm -hmm. And that's why we were institutionalized. That's why we were experimented on. That's why cities and other, like, major metropolitan areas where, like, tourists would come and cultural things were going on would have these laws in place that wouldn't allow people like me to be out in public when those people were out doing their thing because it would ruin the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hate it. Yeah. And I was subjected very much to the medical model as a child. I can tell you by the number of surgeries I've had how many times they tried to fix me, <laughs> but they really only tried to fix the symptoms of the problem. Yeah, at this point in our medical advancement, you can't fix brain damage. It'd be great if we could, mm-hmm. but... People won't allow advancement for that to happen because it's controversial. Um, Because I am one of those people, as much as I know that it could change my very identity as a person, I want to have that experience if it's available to me. I want to know what it's like to be a normal person. Quote, unquote, yeah. Yeah, that was totally my quote voice. Um, (laughs) You know, just, just to... Just so that I can know what that's like. Because, mm. you know what? As much as I can't empathize with the experience of being a black person or an Asian person in our society and how people are discriminated from that aspect, I also cannot empathize with the experience of an able-bodied person. I cannot empathize with the experience of a truly able-minded person. Am I intelligent and articulate and capable? Yes, But the brain damage that I have that caused cerebral palsy makes me a very impulsive person, and it has destroyed my attention span. I have cognitive difficulties as well. I've just been lucky enough to find a way through through that or around that myself because I didn't have help. I didn't have medication. I didn't have therapy for that, nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not everyone can do that. Not everyone has the means to do that. I didn't have the help. I was lucky. I, I wish I could tell you specifically what I did to to get around those things, but I can't. I don't know how I did it. The neurologist said I'm fascinating. That's all I know. <laughs> you are fascinating. 
you are you are fascinating. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just as a person, not as a disability. <laughs> sure, sure. I, you know, I could have been in a freak show back in the day. That would have been fascinating <laughs> too, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I wonder how. Like, what would my freak show title be? Like, hmm. you know, like bearded lady. I'm not. I'm not bearded. But, you know, like they always had a stylized name for everyone, right? Yeah. Well, it would definitely would have to be inappropriate, right? Because we're talking freak show time. Well, yeah, which time. would make it all the more fun. Like what? So we'd have to throw in, probably throw in like gimp in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe. May- I'm short enough to so like am I a gimpy imp or, or <laughs> something. I don't know. But. And it, it's, hmm. I wonder if, Let like... Let us know, listeners. <laughs> yeah, you should do, what's, a, you should do a poll. <laughs> what should Laura's <laughs> freak show name be? <laughs> but I have these thoughts all the time that are so, like, politically incorrect and insensitive to the disabled community, and I'm disabled myself, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> 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 like, why am I thinking about myself in these contexts? This doesn't make me feel good, but also <laughs> it's just kind of fascinating to think about. It's like I've always told you you're too comfortable with the disability and you make everyone else uncomfortable. Well, good. Then they're on my level. How does it feel? <laughs> uh, living with a I disability is is uncomfortable so you know what if other people are made uncomfortable by it then but good you're, you're having too empathy comfortable with it laura it's uncomfortable for me <laughs> oh i'm i'm sorry i i'd get you a tissue but honestly you're more capable of getting it yourself i am closer i guess not just that oh. <laughs> <laughs> never mind i was gonna i was gonna go on but now we'll stop there <laughs> oh now i'm curious don't do that to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I should have known better. Um, but yeah, we started on we, we started trying to like gush about Judy. Oh yeah, human, yeah. Sorry, and we ran tan- out of and that's hey, no, that's fine. That's all right because it's the yeah, only running just... I can do. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> and you're really good at it. <laughs> Thanks. I wish there was an Olympics for it. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't really know what else to say. I can't really. I think people should really watch the documentary mm-hmm. and you will be just, you'll just fall for this woman, her, I know. her passion, her drive and her ability to not get caught in those attempted gotcha moments. Like we talked about when we started recording, when she was uh, doing one of those new spot interviews. Yeah. The passion and the fight and the drive and everything is just so fucking inspiring that as an able-bodied person, I'm just like, fuck the hell have I done? Yeah, and I, I, I want to clarify there. Like, it is genuinely inspiring. We're not talking about inspiration porn here. If she was an able-bodied woman and she did the same damn things, it would still be inspiring. Yes, like, yes. Not just in the fact that she stood up to all these people. When she organized those rallies and everyone else was as fatigued as she was and didn't know if they could make it one more day, she got them through mm-hmm. one more day at a one time more one more day at a time and, and i loved that i love that it was just day by day they didn't it wasn't planned you know so the people didn't have their supplies no and things that they needed for even one overnight right but just that that she had that way with people and people loved and respected her enough to be like yes 
I will stay one more day. She was amazing to watch. And I wish I had had the opportunity to learn about her much earlier yes. in my life. Because like, there are other people who have spoken um, from a comedy perspective and just from an educational perspective about disability who I've admired for different reasons. Like the lady, Stella, who... Um, she passed away not too long ago, but she is the one who coined the term inspiration porn and explained it to people in a way that they could understand. Like, look up her TED Talk. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so that's why I'm not saying it, mm -hmm. but you'll find it. Um, like, uh, There are people in our community who I've admired for what they've brought to light. and But what Judy did is what, you know, in moments in my life like what we were talking about at work or what I did with the college campus and getting more disabled parking there as mm -hmm. well the, I've had moments in my life where I have done things like that but I have never accomplished anything on the scale that she has and I feel like now with social media and so many disabled voices out there it's both a wonderful thing and not at the same time. It's wonderful because we can all be heard. We, we have a platform to be ourselves and communicate with each other and other people and all that cool stuff. But it, it also feels like it's not because it feels like we're all jockeying to be heard over one another. Mm -hmm. It's that competition kind of thing again. And I don't think it's intentional that no. it's like that. I just think that's the way it is because it's the way that it's structured. I wonder if it's because all these different voices have been ignored for so long that for so many different generations that it eventually turned and became more of a, a, a competitive nature. Like, I haven't been heard at all over these X number of decades. Well, neither have I. Right. Well, neither have I. Right. And instead of coming together and helping to uplift each other's voices, because, again, intersectionality... Mm -hmm people are pitted against each other groups are pitted against each other right and we're pitted against ourselves too yes. like you take another group it's not just disabled take another group like uh okay black lives matter is is out there and it's probably chief among awareness of uh, marginalized group campaigns and rightfully so considering what's been going on but within the black community uh, you do hear those those occasional voices, like um, talking about how some are more discriminated against because they're women, or some are more discriminated against because they're men, or or some are more discriminated against because they're LGBTQ, or darker, or simply tones. because yeah, their skin's darker than this person's skin. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many nuances to it in any group, and that's the thing. I don't understand why we do this to ourselves. Yes, we're all different, which means we cannot completely understand any single person's experience more than we can understand our own. But collectively, we have similar enough experiences within our groups and, you know, uh, interconnected between those groups that we should be able to stand together and help each other mm -hmm. instead of nitpicking at each other and taking away from from what we have like we have more available to us now to be heard to mm -hmm. be seen 
and for people to care. And I feel like it's been weaponized against us, partially on our own accord because of the way we divide amongst ourselves. Like, again, in the disabled group, are you beautifully disabled or are you ugly disabled? Are you physically disabled or are you mentally disabled? Are you severely disabled or are you mildly disabled? Uh, did you acquire your disability or were you born with it? Mm -hmm. There's so many different things before you even throw gender and sexuality and, and race and ethnicity mm -hmm. and age group and all of that into it, you know? It, it's really hard to stand together because we're so focused on what makes me more different than you? What makes my life worse than yours? What mm -hmm. makes me better than you? Like, we always have to win at something and that's part of our culture and it sucks. But I also blame the, the mediums that we have yeah. as well. Because one, there's poverty barrier. If you don't have access to the internet, you're shut off from all of those things anyway. Mm -hmm. Two, if you do have access to those things, it's all about how many followers you have or how many likes you have or how many shares you have. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we're competing for on those platforms. Those platforms are set up for that competition. So not only did we already have all this inbuilt competition going in, whether it's trying to be the worst, trying to be the best, whatever, or trying to pass the most as, as socially acceptable, we're battling for likes. Mm -hmm. And I can't stand it. Yeah. Because it shouldn't be about that. A message shouldn't have to go viral for it to matter. Because you know what? If everyone is unified and saying the same message, then it is inherently viral because everyone's doing it. Yeah. So you could be, you could only have two likes on yours and two likes on somebody else's and whatnot. It's still going to have the same power because of the amount of people with those two likes saying it. Yeah, it should. But, but instead, we've individualized too much where we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Like, individualization is important because we are unique people. We are people. Our experiences matter on individual and group levels. But if we want to have power to change our world for the better, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else, we need to stand together, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. And we can't. What social media platform allows that? I have no idea. But I really hope that we can start maybe moving into a more unified direction with all the unfortunate events that have transpired in the last year. Um, from recent to, oh, and I mean, not just the last year. I don't mean to make it say like, these things only happened last year, but no. <laughs> the, the bubbling over and the, the universal outcry and everything, you know, I'm just like enough, but to, yeah, finally fucking come together because with the rise in, um, attacks on the Asian community. And, like, old Asian people, like, go fuck yourself. You're going to attack some fucking elderly Asian person. Why? You, what do you, why? You piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but I think we're starting to see a little bit of, of, of that unity kind of come together as Asians were there. I think a good number of Asians were there to help uplift Black Lives Matter voices. Right. We're now kind of seeing that turn. And even back in the 70s uh, with Black, uh, with the, with the, in the 70s with Black Panther, there was kind of that move of now a, a completely like inappropriate slogan, but something like yellow lives for Black Panthers or something like that. 
but it mm-hmm. was basically trying to come together in a form of solidarity. But I think even then there was a bit of resistance from certain, not not from as a whole, but, you know, like those little pockets of like, well, you don't suffer. You don't know what, what we go through, you know, and it's like, why even refuse? They may not, but why not? And it, it's no one's responsibility, but if they're showing a vested interest in wanting to help and be an active member in any kind of group or community. Let them. Let them. Like, yeah, it's not your job to educate them, but... You don't have to educate them to empower them. Right. You just have to tell them, this is what I need from you. Can you do this yeah. for me? And if they want to help, they will. That's that's what the Black Panther movement did when they helped Judy and her crew. Mm-hmm. They needed food. They gave them food. It had nothing to do with being educated on what a disability was and what it was like. That wasn't necessary. Yes, they could have observed some of that and internalized that as they did this, and they probably did. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't, like, okay, let's sit down and do Disability 101 now. Right. Let's sit down and and do Racial Sensitivity 101 now. There isn't that. If you have time and the means and the ability to do that and you want to, do it. Mm-hmm. But if you want allies and you want to empower them, you can do that without having to educate first. Exactly. And what better education is there than being immersed in your movement? Yeah. Like I agree. Seriously. Um, but you're right. There is some banding together going on, and I really hope it sticks. Yeah. Uh, but I don't see the disability pre- presence that should be there. I agree. I haven't seen enough of it. I haven't seen any of it. Nope. Even with the UW forum, like, it was very much focused on Black Lives Matter. It was also meant to be focused on the fact that it was the 30th anniversary of the ADA. Mm -hmm. But neither of the keynote speakers were disabled. Um, There were breakout groups about disability, and mine was one of them. But there was no keynote speaker that came from, from... that perspective now the the second keynote speaker did a really good job of trying to include it Mm -hmm. in the way she she spoke and tons of credit to her for doing that i loved it but i felt like that was a huge oversight we're talking about the 30th anniversary of a law that already had to be rebuilt um (laughs) 18 years after it was passed because whoops yeah we stripped it down too much I was going to ask you, because when Michelle Obama's documentary Becoming came out, hmm. I think you had posted something about the lack of disability representation and something like that, and how, or maybe you shared an article or something that expressed that. Yeah, it was it was an article. I've, I've shared a lot of them, actually. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was, and I... And I just remember thinking, like, I'm I'm really glad that she posted these because I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that lack of representation. But you're absolutely right. While it was a beautiful film and I enjoyed it, it wasn't truly all-inclusive. No, and it never is. And I'm not. Now, knowing, now with that being said, that the Obamas were the executive producers and granted executive producers is generally a title and not a very hands-on thing, but to see that their names were then attached to this, I just kind of was curious. I'm like, okay, I wonder if maybe, I mean, I know that they're trying to produce a lot of inclusive and, you know, 
documentary shows and stuff like that that kind of touches on maybe a little bit of everything. So I was happy and I love them to pieces. So mm-hmm. I was happy. And I was like, hey, it's <laughs> mommy, dad, Obama. But <laughs> <laughs> but I was just curious because I was like, okay, Laura made a good point or your article, you know, all these different um, journalists, writers mm-hmm. post, wrote those pieces all brought up a really great point. And now here we see something specifically, exclusively disabled related with their names attached. Did you think about that? Is that something you have, like, have any feelings about? Or you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, good for them? Yeah, so I, I have thought about it. I mean, and I want to qualify this here. One, I'm a fan of the Obamas, generally speaking. No, they're not perfect people. Everyone makes mistakes, has oversights, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Think what you will, but generally speaking, I think they've done a lot of good. And two, in speaking about the exclusion of disabled people in things uh, that are released in the media or things that are done in society, what have you, I am not trying to take away from any other movement. They are all important and they are all necessary, and it is sad that they are all necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, I am just saying, because of the intersectionality We should be a part of every movement because we are a part of all those groups. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I am not black. I am not a member of the black community, but there are disabled people who are, and they are forgotten. Mm -hmm. That is what it is. If you wanted to boil being disabled down to a quick phrase, you are the forgotten. Dismissibility. Yep. So the fact that they were a part of this project was fantastic absolutely because this was a disability specific story and in telling it it wasn't crafted with an oversight of oh we should have included these other groups Mm -hmm. it wasn't about that there were black people at that camp and they were included Mm. there were men and women of different ages different severity of disability they were all included they were all given uh, some time in the spotlight, so Mm -hmm. to speak. There were able-bodied people who were a part of that camp, and they were included, too. So within within the confines of that story and where it ended up and how they told it, they included everyone who was a part of it that they could have. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between this and something else. Other also well-done and uh, well-executed documentaries and movies, even for entertainment purposes, tell these stories and either deliberately exclude or they exclude because they forgot. Because it didn't even register to remember. Exactly. And that's the thing. As a group, some of us were there. Some of us were a part of these stories. Where are we? Why are we not represented? If you were a part of our story, like the story in Crip Camp and and the movement that came off of that, you were included in that movie. Mm-hmm. If you played a part in that that movement and the success that it had, you were credited in that movie. Mm-hmm. Where are we in everything else? Because mm-hmm. we were there. And it's like, it's like, um, it's like those ugly laws that I, t- I told you about earlier, where we weren't allowed to be out 
during certain times because it would ruin people's night. It's this is a holdover from that. People don't want to see us, so they don't see us. And because they don't see us, they forget about us. And then when you couple that with the very real possibility that you could become one of us, you don't want to see that. You don't want to be reminded of your own fragility. Mm-hmm. It's not just about mortality. It's about how fragile you really yeah. are. Because we like to believe that we're invincible. We can do anything. And our society kind of builds us up to that. You can be anything you want to be if you work hard enough mm-hmm. or if you're rich enough. Mm-hmm. More likely if you're rich enough. Let's be and honest. And you're white enough. And <laughs> if you're white enough. And if you're male enough. And <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like we, can, we can add qualifiers and mm-hmm. they'd, all, they'd all be justified. But... You know what I mean? That's what we've been conditioned with. That's the American dream. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Is a disabled person a part of that American dream? <laughs> no. You can be disabled if your life sucks enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... I kind of want that as a bumper sticker. <laughs> Smokey the Bear <laughs> or Uncle Sam's slogan. If, yep. we really, if we really wanted to rebrand it for things, we totally could. Like, we want you to get disabled at work. <laughs> Nothing shows you've worked hard enough to not being able to do anything anymore because we took your, we took your limb away or what? Well, a, you know, I, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the more physically demanding laboring jobs that is backbreaking and then you do you do injure yourself after repeated motions mm-hmm. whether that qualifies you for any kind of disability benefit or whatever you you have you now have limitations no and, I'm and your boss is more or less like okay bye you're not really useful to me anymore exactly. your labor doesn't produce enough output for me so, to keep you around so that's that's i'm glad you brought that up because the other major model of disability is the economic model and like social security benefits, it looks like it's a medical model. You gotta medically prove you're disabled or whatnot. Mm-hmm. They won't acknowledge that as a medically valid disability if you're able to work. Yes. And this is why I say that people who are moderately successful by society's terms are set up to be a detriment to their peers who cannot. Mm-hmm. Because I'm one of those people. I've been able to work successfully and it, it has been great for me and my family. I am not complaining. I consider myself fortunate for that fact. But I also understand that, you know, one bad day could take that away from me, just like it could take it away from you mm-hmm. or from the superstar athlete, whatever. Yeah. One bad day could take it all away. Yeah. And if that happens, because I'm able to work now, I will have to try extra hard to prove that I'm disabled. And I won't get enough to live on, and I won't have access to health care. And because I'm married, I won't have access to a bunch of other things either. So there's still discriminatory practices in place that indirectly bar us from being married. Because if we have spouses to support us, we don't need anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, there was a legit Supreme Court case. They made a movie about it as far as inter- interracial marriage goes. What did we get? We got a Dr. Phil episode (laughs) where Dr. (laughs) Phil said something to the effect of 99% or something like that, your marriage is going to fail to an interabled married couple 
because the wife was able-bodied, the man was in a wheelchair. And because and why? Because you can't be someone's lover and someone's caregiver at the same time. Now, I would admit that would probably be a really hard thing to juggle. Very stressful, right? Mm-hmm. But that was the most ableist thing mm-hmm. I've ever fucking heard in my life. I'm in an interabled marriage. So I should really be preparing for the fact that my husband will definitely leave me because eventually I'll just be too much of a burden. Fuck you, Dr. Phil. Yeah. I don't like I've I've always hated Dr. Phil. Where's our court case? Mm-hmm. Where's our recognition? Where wh- why are we treated like this? Why are we burdens? If we had a society that was accommodating to disabilities throughout our entire lifespan, where's the burden? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, taking care of disabled people is hard, blah, blah, blah. You know what else is? Taking care of kids. People do that. Exactly. Uh, taking care of the elderly. People do that. Yep. Uh, taking care of, care of people who are sick. We have doctors and nurses, whole professions and, and institutions for that. Why is taking care of a disabled person any different? If there are people who are trained to do it and they want to do it and they love doing it, then they're awesome people, and I'm so glad that they exist in the world because they help make our lives livable. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, if it's okay to do that for young, old, infirm, why not disabled? I just, uh, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it really just does basically boil down to these centuries of, being told that you guys don't matter you are you guys don't matter you're just you're not even you're like subhuman if that yep and i'm the scum on your boot (laughs) (laughs) well that's that's because you have the cp and it's not totally no um (laughs) i know i'm sorry i i just continually fail to live up to expectations (laughs) i'm sorry i keep bringing that up it's still just i shouldn't be surprised that there would be or have existed a hierarchy within because again, we see that separation in other marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. So when they brought it up at first, I was like, what in the fuck? And I was like, thought about it for a hot second. I was like, "Uh, yeah, I can see. And again, I think that's the, who's better than who's worse than. So did I hop like several social classes up because I married an able-bodied person? Probably. Maybe. Oh, no wonder it pisses so many people <laughs> off to see us out and about, huh? Yeah. You know, when we when y- you talked about the um, Dr. Phil and his bullshit about you can't be a, uh, in a relationship, a, a lover relationship, and be a caregiver, kind of made me think of, like, this one part in the documentary, documentary early when they're at the camp, and talking about how it was just like a summer camp. Everyone got to do summer camp things. Yeah, they played kickball and stuff. But then how that their the caregiving aspect was all just kind of built in, and it wasn't just one, you know, it wasn't just counselors' responsibilities or anything. And the fact that there weren't, like, the counselors weren't just able-bodied people running the camp. Nope, there was, was a mix. There, it was a mix. And some of these people to say what that feeling was like to have someone other than their parent or a family member do these things for them, wash them, hold them, carry them, lift them, dress them, dress them. And like, I kind of 
set with that for a second because I'm like, yeah, we think about, you know, kind of that borderline inspiration porno. Here's this me they're enjoying summer camp, just like quote unquote normal people. Oh, that's so great. Oh, look and at them making something of their lives. I should do better with mine. Ah. Well, and then there's like, because there's like a quick shot as they're showing kids in the pool and everything and and campers with, you know, that don't have the mobility and they're being held in the water, you know, kind of floating and they're smiling and having a good time. But even upon the first time I watched it and the second, God, even the second time, it's just like you don't, I didn't think about what that might have been like for that individual to be like that kind of first, oh my God, basically, essentially a stranger, someone I don't know, you know what I mean? To do like, these very personal, oh my God, intimate things. I don't have to live with my parents forever. Exactly. I can have a life independent of that, them that if I have whole, the right help. That whole kind of like what I can only assume would be like an emotional like roller coaster of like maybe fear, anxiety, this is okay, hope of a quote unquote normal life and yeah, not being tied to parents for the rest of their life and dependent on them and putting, you know, kind of putting them through that too. Right. And that does, it doesn't completely give them privacy if they need a, a caregiver. Um, but you have to look at the caregiver as, as a tool. Could we eventually build a robot that could do that for people? Probably. <laughs> so you know what? It's a tool. And that's not to dehumanize caregivers at all. They're mm -hmm. amazing people and they do amazing work and it's really hard and I commend them for it. Um, but in terms of looking at this as an equitable thing, having a caregiver available to a person is a tool for them to be able to live their life and contribute in a way that they find meaningful to society should they wish to do so. Um, and, you know, to have that revelation of my caregiver does not have to be my mom, mm -hmm. does not have to be my dad. Um, I don't have to live with my parents forever. I don't, because you still sacrifice, you still sacrifice privacy when you have a caregiver, just like any patient in the hospital does. You're in a backless gown mm -hmm. that doesn't stay shut, <laughs> and you got people changing tubes and bedpans, and who knows, depending on what's going on, right? Yeah, yeah. You lose some privacy and some dignity there, don't you? Mm -hmm. Well, imagine living like that all the time, but then imagine that you're losing that, and it's because of your parents. Mm -hmm. There is a modicum of privacy clawed back, even if you have a caregiver, if they're not your parents. Do you know what? I bet a lot of people who watched that whole part of the documentary found themselves thinking of the parents instead. They must have been so happy to have a break from having to do all of those things. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess... It's probably I, true. I mean, yeah, you're probably right. I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I, you're not wrong. Well, the reason I bring that up is because of that oh-so-wonderful movie that Sia came out with, Music. So... If you can't tell, that's sarcasm. I hate the movie. Did you watch it? I watched scenes from it, and that was enough for me. And I, I don't think that watching the whole movie is going to change that experience. Um, it very much takes on the role of glorifying the caregiver. Like, talking about how much of a struggle 
she's having mm -hmm. and how horrible her life is because she's been placed with this very unfair burden. And you know what? It is unfair to expect someone's sibling to just do that. But it's unfair to the disabled person. Our society should be structured so that this is available to us, whether we have family or not. What if she was a fucking orphan? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, without any siblings. You know, what if she was an only child orphan? What then? But then, on the portrayal of music herself, the autistic girl, not being portrayed by someone with autism, not having proper consultation with someone with autism, is wrong. Showing the hold that they showed in the movie is dangerous. I don't know. That is not the appropriate way to do a safe hold on someone who is having a meltdown. There is such a thing. That is not the way to do it. People have died because of that. It is almost akin to the knee on the back of the neck. It produces the same effect. You could suffocate the person. They could die. Jesus Christ. So I haven't watched. I have zero interest in watching this movie. I thought about maybe watching it for this recording just to kind of draw the comparisons. But the more I kept kind of reading about it, the less interest. Like I, I'm like, I don't feel like anything good is going to come of it with sitting like other than just me getting more and more enraged so mm -hmm. what is the what is the hold method that well i mean that, you're that they used in the movie it was an it's an outdated method it was used at some point mm -hmm. but it is a physical restraint where she is actually like on her back she is holding she's pinning her arms down and she on her back oh shit okay so i think i know what you're saying so the person would be laying on their back, like maybe arms. No, 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 no. No, the caregiver is on the back of the person they are holding. Oh, okay, and then just holding them down that way. Mm -hmm. Jesus, don't get me wrong. Uh, autistic meltdowns can be incredibly dangerous to themselves and to others, but there are ways to de-escalate and there are ways to contain without risking serious injury or death mm -hmm. and they if they had consulted with professionals they could have portrayed that correctly but so. they didn't and he, the thing the thing going back to the oscars again this film made that fucking award circuit what mm -hmm. it debuted at one of those festivals i forget which one but this is what I'm talking about. Able-bodied people trying to portray the disabled experience and usually getting lauded for it. And I think if this movie hadn't been just absolutely dragged by the autistic community, the disabled community, and you know, it got enough attention to uh, hit able-bodied awareness, I think it might have it might have won something. Yeah. Because like you go in there with fifty-fifty odds. Yeah. Like, people do these disabled projects for a reason. They want they want that on their resume. Mm -hmm. yep, it's for show. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, like I said, no interest in watching it, and I just can't even believe the thought process in producing something like that without the consultation and the proper research and actors like it, it, it's like you said it's just a, a, a resume piece it's so not cool i mean uh, i just i've never been so angry about a movie uh, 
I've been angry about disability portrayals <laughs> before. Like, some of those able-bodied actors do a pretty good job, even if it is stylized, of imitating the disability that they're trying to imitate. And kudos to them for being able to pull that off, I guess, in a way that is a talent. Uh, but I cannot tell you how depressing and disheartening it is to think you are finally seeing representation, especially if it's your disability, mm-hmm. in a film or show, than to find out it was fake. Like Just that betrayal. In, in the, usual, the usual suspects, that was part of the storyline, but still it hit me really hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I was, oh my God, I cannot tell you what an emotional roller coaster watching that movie was for me. <laughs> He has CP. Oh my God, he has CP, <laughs> and he—he's a criminal, yeah. and he's good at it. And then, <laughs> then I'm like, you know, starting to piece together things yep. in the story, and I'm like, oh God, he's really good at it. He's this is a story. He's really good at it. what is he doing? This is manipulation. I know it. I just don't understand what's going on. And then to find out the CP was fake. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Sorry, but. I think we've already spoiled it, but <laughs> like in a previous recording, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, the CP was fake. Like I wasn't, I was dumb enough as as a younger person to not recognize who this actor was. Maybe I would have known he was able bodied, and I wouldn't have been so fooled. But whatever. Uh, oh, I, it just broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Like it was a cool twist from a story perspective, like from a narrative perspective. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but from a oh my god I'm finally seeing someone like me on the screen and it's a big movie and it's a big deal mm-hmm. wow this is so amazing oh shit false alarm again Yeah, it was a lie it was just it was to make him seem so unassuming and oh what could he do the, He's got it CP. perpetuated that he played those stereotypes mm-hmm. and you know what as, as someone if you're going to be a con man. Hey, as someone who, who sees the value in playing the cards you have when, when needed, sure. But it brought to light so many stereotypes. The whole disabled people are innocent by default. Mm-hmm. Disabled people are victims by default. Disabled people don't know any better by default. How could a disabled person even have these types of motivations by default? Like, it played on those so perfectly. Like, that... that detective he was talking to bigot absolute bigot Mm -hmm. and nobody nobody cares to look at that movie from that perspective (laughs) like his whole gamut wouldn't have worked yeah whole gambit wouldn't have worked if people didn't adhere to those stereotypes so yeah that that movie hits a lot harder for me than it does for most people and not just because of the twist (laughs) Any any final thoughts on the documentary? I loved it overall. Mm-hmm. I, I think it finally told the story that needed to be te- told. And it was only part of the story, mm-hmm. but it's a start. And I, I really hope that it leads to more of this. Like, no more side characters in a story. No more inspiration porn. No more just being there to, to hit quotas or mm-hmm. whatever. No more able-bodied people pretending to be us. By the way, why are disabled pets considered adorable and have, like, giant Instagram follower accounts, but disabled people are like, ew. 
Well, I think it's just because you're human and you can speak, you can talk back. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a great, great double standard. I'd be, I'd be much more well received if I was a cat, apparently. <laughs> like, could this be the start of us being seen as people who have something to contribute, who make a difference in this world, despite our unique obstacles? Let's fucking hope so. I, I need it to be. Yeah. I do. I, I like to, as pessimistic and realistic as I can be, <laughs> also do try to be somewhat hopeful and try to, even though I know humanity is shit, <laughs> American society is shit, I do think that there are still enough good people and decent people that want all those things as well that will continue to fight for it and we will continue to see us moving in that in a very more in a very inclusive direction i don't think we should expect to see any kind of leaps and bounds but i think as long as there's we con there continues to be momentum and these quote tiny victories because as, as shitty as they are and as much as, like, you know, I understand not wanting to have to feel thankful for accessible bathrooms and all those things, and I'm not trying to be like, but you should still feel grateful for them. Like, mm -hmm. they're, they're still small steps. And let's also remember who's in charge and who's, who's responsible for making these changes. It's really what they're able to digest and accept, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Very. But it's, I guess it's, it's like trying to get the kids to eat vegetables, couple of nibbles is better than nothing. I and agree. I'm going to keep shoving nibbles at you until you're taking bigger bites. You know what I mean? I agree. Any positive progress is better than nothing. What I hope that this does, though, is erase all the negative progress that happens in between. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like, how many times do we hear the reference two steps forward, one step back? Right. It's actually like one step forward, ten steps back yeah. is the cycle that that disability rights seems to have mm -hmm. we need to break that for for disabled people and by extension for everyone else because mm -hmm. it is going to affect how others rights are treated exactly and we need to understand that too you help us you're helping yourself you help us we'll help you like we'll probably help you anyway because we don't think that anyone should be treated this way mm -hmm. collectively speaking the majority of disabled people feel that way there are outliers like that like any, like awesome any Republican legislator that I love <laughs> so much. But generally speaking, we know what it's like to be forgotten. And we don't want anyone else's plight to be forgotten. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I try to be active in the community for anybody's rights that need to be stood up for. I mean, I'll always jump on the chance to advocate for disability first because you know I know that's, that's I know yeah, that area I can advocate most effectively in what I know but that doesn't mean that I can't be an ally elsewhere right and I can't learn from the, their experience and apply it to disability advocacy or or just general daily life mm -hmm. everything is a learning opportunity and not because I'm asking to be educated or I'm putting that burden on someone but just else the experience but immersion yeah. Is a is a learning tool and it you know, that shouldn't be forgotten. And putting things like this documentary into the mainstream and and 
it, hitting award circuits and as much as I hate them, <laughs> it brings us to the mainstream, which is something we're definitely not used to, with the uh, obvious exception of <laughs> being stylized for the purposes of winning awards. Like, this has finally genuinely brought us to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It has brought us to the conversation, and I don't want people to forget that we're there. Mm -hmm. That's that's all I'm asking, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I agree. I absolutely loved this movie. I watched it Thursday night, and then I watched it again last night. And for me, even, like, for some, like, it was more emotional the second time around. Watching Judy just tell that in Edinburgh guy or whatever, like, stop nodding your head at me. You don't know what I'm just that whole scene of her and her, just the way she speaks and the way she delivers and the passion that she had. And you can tell, you know, she's choking back the tears mm -hmm. and everything. And she did a great job because again, God forbid we as women show emotions because now we're all emotional. Mm -hmm. So she had to fight against that too, but she did an amazing job. And it's like, I'm watching it with my son and because I, it's important for me that they, my kids know these things, know that these fights happened, and that they didn't happen that long ago. And I couldn't even speak when I was <laughs> when we were done watching that scene. I was just like, "See, it's important. It's good." Because it just it got me really bad the second time. Where I was like, "Oh my god, why am I so emotional right now?" But it, it's it's still it'll still hit you in the feels. And, and it's beautifully done, and um, kudos to Judy Heumann, um and Denise and Neil. And I love Denise and Neil. They're oh, so God. Good. And, dude, that guy had a time at camp, huh? <laughs> Making out with counselors, getting his dick touched the next night. <laughs> Man. Oh, my God. Dude, what? I think those two are party animals <laughs> they, were, they were fantastic and you can there was a scene where like you could tell the documentarians who were at the camp originally were getting impatient because they couldn't really understand what judy was saying like and they couldn't even subtitle that part of mm -hmm. the of the film um and it took her a very long time to say what she was saying you know but then somebody else translated what she was saying, and it was that privacy discussion. Mm. Oh, that was Nancy. Nancy Rosen. Oh, you're Mom. right, right, she right. Was, yeah, she was harder to, to understand. And then the guy that translated, uh, that was Steve, he was one of the counselors. Yeah. And he was one that I think he did, like, the sweet transvestite kind of strip tease at their Halloween party. I loved that. That was awesome. I apologize, by the way. I am terrible with names, and it's, you know... Uh, causing its issues here but but that was a really powerful scene in the documentary yes. because you could tell there was some ableism going on there and i loved that the rest of the campers around could get the point across and didn't feel burdened or or annoyed mm -hmm. that they needed to do that for her and when they sh when when nancy was speaking and they kind of pan around to the to the everyone at the table, and they kind of stop at Steve for a little bit. He's attentively listening, mm -hmm. and he's nodding, and he's understanding, and he's getting you know he's able to pro like he's taking the time, you know, like you said, like wasn't trying to rush it or be just like he was 
actively listening to her and then was able to convey what she was saying. And again, yeah, like it wasn't a burden, just like the caregiving aspect wasn't really considered a burden by the people at the camp that was just no. woven into their lives. And I think that's a beautiful, amazing thing. And I think it would be great if something similar to that setup maybe still existed today, not just run by able, but not just a disability camp for, you know, or a camp for disabled people run by able bodied people, but of all walks, a mix, a right? mix, right? Because that's what society is. It's a bit of each. And then to be inclusive in discussions like they did when Cook was going to have a night off. So what are we going to have for dinner? And then no one could agree. They couldn't agree on, what, really on, what they, on their feelings of lasagna. So Judy's like, so we'll just go back. Everyone think about it. And when we reconvene at this later time for this other thing, we'll figure out. Like, it's so fucking simple. Uh-huh. It's so fucking simple. Like right? that's done like anywhere, everywhere where people give a shit about each other. Yeah. And and, I... and so we shouldn't in a way feel so like, wow, that's so great. Again, thankful for accessible toilets. Like, oh, wow, that's so great that they got to be included. Like they should always be included. Right. Because you know what? If that camp showed anything, it's pretty fun for all involved. Yeah. Able-bodied or not. Yeah. They were smoking dope. They were fucking. Mm-hmm. They, were <laughs> they were forming bands, singing songs. I mean, yeah. it, it was just a good time all around. They were playing sports. They were going on field trips and excursions. and what, They were just doing what anyone wants to do. I wish there was. I wish there was a Camp Jeanette now. Same thing. Where it isn't just like these day activities or something like that, you know? Me too. But maybe maybe we can work towards that. Or maybe they, I don't know, maybe they do exist in <laughs> fancier parts of the country or something. But I still haven't come across any quite like that, no. No, nah, not like that. And also it's the 70s. <laughs> it was the but, 70s, so there's I mean, the looseness of the 70s too. Another point too is it showcased that there was caregiving involved. Mm-hmm. And it showed that those people were appreciated for what they did, but not in a way that glorified them or made them martyred them right. for their sacrifice in helping these people. Yeah. It was just, it's just a part of. That's what it is. It's something that should be respected and appreciated without being martyred. That's, yeah. that's, that's really how it should be. That's what inclusivity is. Uh, you know, Sometimes people have to do more than what someone might deem as their, their fair share. But, you know, some of those people are able to contribute in ways that others can't. Everybody has something different to give, regardless of where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And it all makes a positive difference. So why wouldn't we welcome that? Yeah, well said. Well, Laura, this has been an absolute amazing conversation today not just on the movie crip camp but also on disability rights so thank you for enlightening me and and the listeners and engaging in this great conversation Thanks i had a blast for having it yeah it's not an easy one to have so no and i also you know you you're my token disabled friend so (laughs) you're the one I come with to with like my questions on things and I I appreciate you willingly like wanting to listen to them hear my questions and have these conversations with me because as we said before 
not obligated in any way to be my teacher or my guide through this as I as I continue to expand my understanding of uh, the disability community. So again, as always, thank you for for doing that. No problem. I enjoy doing it. I can't say that everyone will, but if someone actually cares enough to learn more about what it's like as much as one can to be like us or to live like us or to understand more about what we go through on a day-to-day -day basis or how much can be taken for granted that you don't even realize. Mm -hmm. um, I welcome that because uh, as we saw in Crip Camp, having allies outside of the disability community is, is just as important as having allies within it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, if we really want to make a difference in our society for the betterment of everyone, we do need to work together. Mm -hmm. And you know, if I help one person bridge a gap somewhere, then I've made some small impact. And hopefully that person goes on to do the same thing too. And maybe it's like one of those pay it forward effects. It's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> 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 Fucking knew it. <laughs> Maybe, you know, with enough of that happening, the numbers grow, the gaps, they they decrease, if not get eliminated altogether, and we can actually do some good again, mm -hmm. like Judy and her group were able to do in their time. Absolutely. Well, I will do my best to be a good ally for you and your people. Um, but in the meantime... Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And Laura, thank you for joining me today in the pod basement. Woohoo! We're real people again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, keep streaming. Bye. Bye.